welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Well, what an incredible Sunday to be here and an incredible season of this world that we are in. We are in a moment in time like no other. And we are honestly in a moment that they will write history books about. This election season is crazy. It is absolutely insane. What other words do you use to talk about email scandals coming in in the final hour? Lord have mercy. Scandal upon scandal, conspiracy after conspiracy, and it's dividing some of you against your friends. There are people that you're shock in shock and awe about. It is one of the craziest seasons that we've ever been in in our world, and we are experiencing it. You know, I, uh, growing up, I had a good friend. His name was Dan. Dan and I used to hang out all the time. We used to go to the playground together, and we were on the football team together. And when I say grew up, I mean elementary school, middle school, high school. I know his mama. I know all his friends. I remember when he got married. We've been cool. I mean, we weren't best friends, but we were cool. In fact, we've got a picture of me and Dan growing up. This is in high school, you know. This is me in 10th grade. So anyway, I, I, was, I was 15 there, right? And Dan and I, that, that, that is not the point of that picture. But I, I was 15 and, and I, I haven't grown much since. I was, I'm the same size as I was in 93. Anyway, the point is, oh, I'm different size, but praise God. But, um, but Dan and I, this is before class, and we were just cool friends. And so I remember growing up, and, and we're connected, and we're cool. And so Dan actually worked at a golf course. And in working at this golf course, he was a caddy, and people would come into you know, golf, and he would caddy for them. And then over time, um, the golf course began to lose money. And so someone came in to take over the golf course and to put money back into it. The name of that gentleman was a, a guy named Donald J. Trump. And so he took over the golf course, and then Dan became a caddy for Donald Trump. And then he started to work in the golf course, and then he began to manage the golf course. And then Dan, as a young man in his mid-30s, ended up taking over all of Donald Trump's golf course courses around the world. Well, I was like, praise God, Dan, that's great. You're doing, you're doing big things. You know, I saw him at my high school reunion. I'm like, you're doing big things. Good to see you. You, you go from caddy to manager of all the golf courses. That's amazing, Dan. That's amazing. Me and you are cool, right? Yeah. So Dan starts posting stuff on Twitter and Facebook and start saying, hey, I'm hearing that Donald Trump's gonna run for president and I'm all for it and I'm really excited about it. And I was like, okay, well, cool. You know, Dan's excited about Donald Trump. And he starts working for the campaign. And so automatically, like, there's this tension I have with him, like, man, this is kind of crazy the way things are going. And then if there's one thing that Donald Trump is known for, I mean, classically known for, it's his Twitter, right? 
The fact that he will tweet out at 3 a.m. all types of things. I mean, you don't know what he'll say. He's unhinged. And, and you would think to yourself, this is what you might think to yourself. In a campaign, shouldn't there be someone that oversees his Twitter? Like, shouldn't there be someone who oversees his social media? Shouldn't there be someone kind of like a social media director? Shouldn't there be somebody like that? Dan is his social media director. He checks the tweets before they go out. That's him. That's him. That's why I got the picture up there. I wasn't showing that earlier picture for any other reason than to see what's happening right now. You can go to Dan, Google Dan Scavino, S-C-A-V-I-N-O. That's him. And, and I don't know if we're friends anymore. <laughs> but it's hard to be in fellowship with him now. And what's happened between Dan and I is happening in workplaces all day. It's happening amongst friends all day. What's happening is there's one side that believes that the apocalypse is coming. And then there's another side that believes that we might need to move to Canada if one person gets elected versus the other. And one of the challenging moments we are in as a society is that you are, fo you are forced to be for something and against it. We, we, there's no room for nuance or complexity in your thought. You've got to be for or against. You've got to be for a person or against them. And in the same way we do that with people and platforms, we do that with positions. Well, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? We can take the picture down. They ain't got to look at me this whole time. Let's, let's do something different. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm messing with you but it felt awkward after a while. Um, but are you pro-life or pro-choice? I mean, if you're pro-life, I mean, you've got to be pro-life. I mean, you wouldn't want people to die in the womb. I mean, you've got to be pro-life. I mean, you've got to not want children ripped out of the womb. You've got to be pro-life. Well, I mean, you've got to be pro-choice. I mean, you can't tell people what to do with their body. I mean, if they're going to be a human, you've got to give them the right to think for themselves. You've got to be pro-choice. I mean, I mean, the cops are out there. They've been put there by God. Romans 13, the Bible says that all authorities have been placed there by God. So you got to be for the police. You, you got to say blue lives matter. You got to repeat those words. Well, wait a minute now. There's been so much oppression happening in this world, particularly to black people, people that have been here for 400 years that were under oppression, that weren't even considered human beings. And now the incarceration system is now giving us mass oppression all the time. You've got to say black lives matter. You see, you've got to choose one or the other because we have a binary system of politics and positions. And you can't just be for something. You've got to be against someone else. And that is the system that we live in. And not only that, but now through media and social media, we no longer have national news. We have tribal news. It's news that is spoken to you from your tribe, for your tribe, by your tribe. And, in, and so then you go on social media and you get certain video clips, news clips, articles, and you share them amongst yourselves. 
And then what gets created is this echo chamber of us talking to us. And then what happens is your coworker can peek in and because your conversation is on a public platform, I can look in and see how crazy you really are. And what we have created is a system of rage. Everyone is enraged. There is a constant system of breaking news to shock you, to make you more enraged. Not enraged by something, enraged at someone, some position. And that is the state of our world. And something that we have to ask ourselves because within the human makeup, within our DNA, we can't help it. We always long for someone to lead our tribe. We, we want someone to make promises of transformation, promises of hope, promises of change, promises of making America great or making America great again. There's something inside us that that speaks to. And we long for that kind of leadership and to be led by it. And the question we have to ask is, can that leader truly bring about the change they're promising? Can that leader bring about the hope that they're so eloquently communicating? And the essence of that, I tell you, is not just hope or change or greatness. The essence of that is within us. We know that this world is off course. We know that things aren't right. And we want more than change. We want a revolution. We want to see things change and be made right. And we don't want to see young men being presumed guilty before they're presumed innocent. We don't want to see young people having to constantly suffer the weight of going into a school system only to be piped into a prison system. We don't want to see that, and so we want someone to make it right. Amen. Because there's a desire inside us for leadership. We can't shake it. And those are just some of the issues, obviously, but it, it's inside of us. Every four years, we come to this place. Longing for transformation, longing for revolution, longing for a leader that can bring it about. And that is not only in the political realm from the space of the president, but that's in all forms of social change. Whether you're working to have kids adopted or whether you're trying to feed the homeless, there is a desire in us to have someone lead that charge. And the beauty of Jesus is that when Jesus comes, Jesus comes to earth and in his very first sermon, he speaks eloquent words. In Luke chapter 4, he says this. I believe we have it up on the screen. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and reco recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He didn't say things were going to change. He said they're changed, but while they're changing, look at me. Me. I'm going to bring change. I'm going to bring transformation. And you know what? This was his first sermon. You know what he began to do? He began to heal people. He began to bring sight to the blind. He began to bring people back from the dead. 
He would spend all his time with the marginalized, all his time with the oppressed. Of all the places a king who sat on the throne in heaven could go to, he went to Nazareth, a little ghetto town, and went to a little 14-year-old girl, and he spent his time in a very impoverished place with broken, oppressed people. He spent his time there and blessed them, walked amongst them, healed them, cared for them, and changed them. And his yes was yes. He said he would transform And he did. And Jesus not only speaks to the ills of our society, but he speaks to what our society should be, and he produces it because he's the king. Martin Luther King, eloquently in 1963 on the March on Washington, spoke in the same way that our king spoke Jesus, he spoke in a very powerful way. 1963, March on Washington, swarms of people are there. 1863, Lincoln had freed the saved, but now we have Jim Crow laws. And here he is in his moment, and he eloquently calls out the powers that be. He eloquently talks about how we have inalienable rights. He eloquently talks about the Constitution. He talks about the oppression that his people were facing. He talked about all those things, and he had the sound of an Old Testament prophet. In fact, he quoted from Amos, and he quoted from Isaiah in such a way that no one could sit there and think that this person didn't, that thought things were going well. But what's interesting... <laughs> is that when you hear of Martin's speech, all you hear about is the dream. That's all that people remember. He says he dreams of the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners being able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. What Martin Luther King did in that moment was he took the moral conscience of America. And he gave them this imagination. And what he was doing was he was not pointing to some utopia, which people would like to presume, but he was actually pointing to a different type of place, a place called the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, things are made right. And so when Jesus healed people, he healed them in order to demonstrate the kingdom because in the kingdom, people live out lives that are whole and right. In the kingdom, people don't live lives lonely and oppressed. They live lives as adopted to the king and they serve that king. And so when he did miracles, they were to proclaim the kingdom and demonstrate the kingdom. And so Martin Luther King, when he spoke, he gave people this imagination of what could be. This is the world that could be. It was not enough to be prophetic about what was unjust. He spoke to what could be. He gave a vision of what could be. And part of our broken rhetoric today is that we simply speak of what's wrong because we don't know what's right anymore. Jesus was a leader of righteousness. We have to be very careful. I I, I, I knew I was going to go off, but I'm going to go off for just a second. We just got to be careful, y'all. When someone doesn't 
believe in a higher righteousness than themselves. In other words, when they think that their platform is the enactment of righteousness, get ready for arrogance. You must believe that there is a higher righteousness than you because if the righteousness is higher than me, then I'm humble. I have to bow to someone and be careful of the person that's not bowing to anyone. Because before you know it, they'll want them to bow to you. They'll they'll want you to bow to them rather. It is the way the world works. One power overtakes another power and another power takes another power. That's the way the world works. We are constantly swapping power systems and structures. And it was an incredible moment for the most powerful king to be with the powerless and offer them himself. And so you say to yourself, man, well, you know, James, the election's coming out. It's so funny. I've preached in many different churches in my life. I really, really really have. And I've done political messages before. And generally, I've had a diverse crowd and I've wondered who they're voting for. I'm not in that moment right now. So this sermon is a little different because, because of where we're at. But, but I, I want, here, here's my heart. I want you to see how Jesus responded. It's not so much how, I want you to see how he responded when he was getting pulled in two different directions because this is bigger than Democrat or Republican. I want you to see how Jesus responds when people are trying to force him to a side. I want you to see how he responds. Mark, the book of Mark, um, Mark 12. Mark 12, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and you don't care about anyone's opinion for you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. (laughs) Notice what the questions they ask. Is it lawful? to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Notice the double question. You you don't see it here because you're reading it, but feel it when someone asks you a question twice, they're pushing you or not. Should we not? What would you do? Answer, choose a side. We'll look at the sides that we have. The Pharisees and the Herodians. You can go back. The Pharisees were Jews who had been under Roman oppression. The Romans before had come and taken away the, the power of living in Jerusalem and the power of having their own place. And so they've come and they've taken it by force. And so the Pharisees are against the Roman authorities. In fact, the tax that they're talking about was called a head tax. It was the worst type of tax. There were taxes for roads and taxes for bridges and taxes for all types of things. But this tax was the worst type of tax because it was kind of like a mafioso tax. They're taxing them just to exist in the land. 
It was called a head tax. It was like, are you breathing? Okay, pay for that. And so this was, so they were, this was, this, this was, you know, this actually happened in New York when the Native Americans had New York. The Dutch that came, when they came over, they, they came and got land from the Native Americans, then taxed them in their own land. And then the Native Americans were like, hold up, this is my house. And then they killed them. And so, so there's, a degra- there's this feeling of degradation when you're being taxed in your own place. So there, there was so much angst around this one question. And what they're really saying is, are you for us or against us? You're a Jew, right? You're a Jew, right? I remember your daddy. Remember your daddy was a carpenter. Yeah, you're a Jew. So are you for us or against us? Well, then you had the Herodians. The Herodians were a group that essentially walked line and step with the government. They followed their king, Herod, who was a Jew, but but kind of conspired with the government. So they felt, don't protest. Stay quiet. Be good. And if you do good, if you do enough good, the, the Roman authorities will leave us alone. And so the Herodians are like, are you... Are you for the government itself? I mean, is the government a bad thing? You wouldn't come against the government, would you, Jesus? Aren't you a righteous teacher? Don't you teach right things? Now, understand this, one more thing of history. There was a man 25 years before this named Judas the Galilean. Not the Judas you've heard of. Judas was a typical name like John or James. Judas the Galilean had come 25 years before, and you know what he did? He came and he fought the Roman authorities, and he went into the temple, and he whipped people in the temple, and he began to talk about how the kingdom of God was coming. And then what he did was he told the people not to pay the head tax. Well, Jesus had cleansed the temple. Jesus had went into the temple himself, and Jesus had talked about the kingdom as well. And so they're wondering, are you going to lead a revolt like Judas the Galilean did? Judas the Galilean ended up getting killed by Roman authorities. Are you going to be like him? (laughs) And Jesus knows why they're asking. Before we get into how Jesus responded, I think it's worth noting one thing. Did you remember uh, before this, I read Luke chapter 4, when Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach? You know, after that, after that, they loved him. They loved him. They were like, oh, that was so good. You are dope. I love him. Man, this guy's good. I think he's the Messiah. It's got to be. The way he was reading that, so good. Teaches with such authority. Wow. But if you... Later on, in fact, we'll have you read it in city groups. If you look in the rest of the chapter, Luke chapter 4, he begins to talk about how really his righteousness, who, who he was, was not only for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles. And, and, he, and he began, as he began to preach and continue to preach, he also pointed out the inconsistency and the hypocrisy amongst the Jews as well. And later on in that chapter... They try to stone and kill him. And it's amazing how 
when Jesus was saying the things that they thought should happen, they were for him. But when he started to talk about the unrighteousness in them, they were against him. It's amazing how we love it when we talk about unrighteousness out there, but we don't like to talk about the unrighteousness within yourself. And so part of the problem, part of the problem, Jesus won't try to fit into any of their boxes because he knows how men are. He will not fit. He knows that we are in a flawed world with flawed organizations and flawed people. So he says, Essentially, he, he realizes the nature of how people are. G.K. Chesterton was asked one time, what are the greatest problems in our society? New York Times asked him to write an article on it. And he wrote back, dear sir, I am. He said, I'm part of the problem. We should protest. We should fight against injustice. We should be against all types of corporate organized sin. Just don't forget you're part of the problem. Don't forget that Jesus not only died to take down power structures, he, he died to take down the power structure in you, the inconsistency in you. I know something about you. I know you give advice to people you don't keep in your own life. He died for your inconsistency. He died for your unrighteousness. And see, when you have a people that understand I'm part of the problem, there's humility in our protest. Yes. There's humility in our fight because we're part of the problem. Hallelujah. And so Jesus would never point too quickly to a leader, too quickly to an organization. No, he, but, but he would support the things that are right. Look, look what happens here. The next verse <laughs> Jesus says in Mark 12, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? <laughs> Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said, will render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They marveled at him. They were in awe of the way he responded. Jesus says this to him. There are a few things we should point out. <laughs> Jesus, first of all, says... What's the problem? Taxes? Let me see that money. Bring, bring it here. Let me look at what this problem is you speak of. And he takes the coin, but he doesn't actually say what's on the coin. Whose inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. Now, what's very interesting is that on one side of the, uh, the coin, it says Tiberius Augustus. And on the other side, it says Pontifus Maximus. On one side, it says that Caesar is the high priest. And on the other side, it says Caesar is the son of God. And Jesus took the coin and looked at it and said, well, whose image is on this? And they said Caesar's. And in many ways, what he was saying is you all understand this is his money. 
you understand that he is bathing in his power, presuming that he is the son of God, presuming that he is the high priest, meaning that he is the person that has the most authority to speak to God, knowing that that was his position, knowing that that was his title. Jesus could have went off, y'all. He could have taken that coin and all coins and melted them and had them float in the river and made an ark out of it and sailed away and then floated back. He could have done all types of things. But Jesus was not trying to prove his power to these people. What Jesus did was he realized, and we don't have time to go into this in great detail now, But he realized that in a fallen world, there will be fallen structures and there will be fallen power structures as well. There will be fallen leaders and fallen government, meaning sinful leaders, sinful governments, inconsistent people. And so he says, well, in essence, taxes aren't sinful in and of themselves. And money is not sinful in and of itself. And since this is Caesar's money, and literally it was his money out of his own wealth, he would give out to the people. That's why he felt so authoritative to tax them. Since it was his own money and had his own face on it, he said, well, give that to him. Give him that money. There's nothing wrong with that. But give to God what is God's. So in the same way, he says, notice what he says. He says, whose image, the word in Greek, it says, whose icon is this? But subtly, you know what Jesus is saying? Give to him what's in his image, but give to God what's in his image. And you are in his image. You. What he was saying is, (laughs) you see all this? You see this thing called earth? This is mine. I remember when we laid the foundation. And you see your body, I remember when you were designed. In other words, he says, in the large scheme of things, this coin is nothing. Look at the sun. Remember that? Yeah, I put that together. The world is under the authority of God. So he says, give that to God. And then ultimately what he was saying is this. Give him the money, but give me your heart. Give him taxes, but your allegiance is to me. Give to God yourself. Give to God your dreams. Give to God all the honor as he deserves. The taxes are nothing. But you mean everything to me. You see that he he, he doesn't play their game. Jesus, in an amazing picture here, the other thing that he does, which is amazing, is he says, give me a denarius. Now, you know, denarius was like a, a day's wage for a peasant. So this is about 25 cents, maybe 30 cents. It's about a day's wage at that time. And you ever thought about this? Jesus says, give me a denarius. You know why? Because he ain't got none. H.G. Wells, the quote that Rasul quoted last week, he said, he called him what? A penniless preacher. Jesus was broke. I'm sweating hard? Oh. Sweat is an indication of work. I, was, I thought I was working hard. Thank you. The fact that I can't see, I didn't even think about that. But um, 
Do you realize part of the greatest scandals in the election season right now are about conspiring around money? Every person that says, I'm here for you, I'm here for you, no, 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 I'm here for you, I'm here for you, and if you would just contribute, if you just go down to my website, because you can't be fully for people when you need power from them. He's got to get power from the people. He's got to get resources from the people. Jesus is for the people because he doesn't get anything from them. He's the penniless preacher. He has to ask for a denarius. Amen. He has to ask for money. And so you see the, the heartbeat of, of who he is. He is one without. But the, the, one of the last things I really want to show you is... Um, Jesus has this incredible way of showing us what the kingdom of God is like in the way that he is able to lead people. Uh, Luke chapter 6, I think we have it up here, Luke chapter 6. You guys remember the Sermon on the Mount when he starts talking about the Beatitudes. He says, he lifted up his eyes to the disciples and says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you should be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their, so, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And so one of the things he says is, look at the poor and the hungry and the destitute and, and without going into great detail of what he talks about here, he comes against everything we naturally want. Power. We want, we want recognition. We want success. We want to feel exclusive. And he comes against. This king is amazing. He would say in other places that the king is the servant and he washes feet. He's so different. And he's so different than every other kind of power structure we understand because that's one of the things you wrestle with right now. Your hunger for elitism, your hunger for recognition, your hunger for status. And that tells you there is a kingdom-like dynamic working in you, and that is the kingdom of this world. And it does not matter if you're feeding homeless. It does not matter what kind of social organization or how many good works you do. Inside of you, these elements of power and status and recognition and approval all work in you. And Jesus, Jesus breaks those power structures because he demonstrates himself as one who had nothing and asked for nothing but blessed, completely blessed people. Yes. And when you enter into his kingdom, you end up taking on his identity. And you end up being one who mimics the way that he lived. And you also have access to his power by way of the Holy Spirit. So you can be one of the few people that serve with purity. Because you don't need approval, do you? When your identity is in Christ, you don't need approval. You don't need a fat paycheck. 
You don't need scores of people to recognize your name, scores of people lifting you up, scores of people saying how great you did. You don't need that because one day you will see your king and he will recognize all the things you did and he will say to you, look deeply into your eyes and say, well done. And that's what you live for. That's why we serve. Do you understand those who are in the kingdom are some of the few people that can serve and not need to be noticed? We don't need to be noticed. We have power and our power comes from prayer. We don't need a a room for that. We don't need money for that. We can serve and bless people with the power of God. And we don't have to have great quotes. We don't have to have great fame. We don't even have to have an organization. Because as long as the Holy Spirit is in you, you are indwelt by the presence of God. And you say, well, I'm trying to do good things, but the boss is against me. The community is against me. The people are against me, but I'm trying to do good things for the sake of God. The Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? You understand the church. The church should be the hope of the world because we have the hopeful one in our midst. We have the only one that is purely righteous, that is purely the one that can be depended on. Our power source is from the king. As we live our lives, be careful, church. Be careful. Be careful about your rage. Be careful about your protest. Be careful about your desire for justice. For we should fight, and we should proclaim, and we should demonstrate, no question. No question we should fight. But just remember where you came from. You were blind, and now you see. You were unrighteous, and you were made right. And you now do things with an element of humility because you know where you came from. And then you know where your power is from. It is from the king, and he empowers and he fuels all that we do. Look at the life Jesus lived amongst the marginalized, amongst the oppressed, amongst the hurting, amongst the poor. This, um, this upcoming week, in the next, I believe, eight days, we have an election coming. So I want to speak very openly. Um, the chances of Donald J. Trump becoming the president are very small, but possible. If he were to become the president of our country, we should be one of the last people to freak out because he is not our leader. 
the chances of him becoming the president are small, but possible. And to a watching world, we must be a people that still focus on the work that must be done. Do you understand there's so much work to be done? We have meetings coming up where we're gonna talk about justice as a church. We have a known campaign because we wanna help the homeless. We have city groups where we come together and we deal with our brokenness together. Whoever is the president, it does not matter. They don't stop the work of the church. And I will tell you this, the church can't be stopped. If it is to be stopped, it is under the sovereignty of the true king who was powerless. And what I'm trying to just plead with you is about allegiance. I'm pleading with you about allegiance. I'm pleading for you to have allegiance to the only king, the only leader we can trust that has all purity and is truly for the people. How do you know he's for the people? Because the height of his power was when he was executed, not when he was elected. That was the height of his power. When he was giving everything for the people, he gave everything for the people. And he gave them power and didn't ask for power. He blessed the people and didn't ask for a blessing. He's the only pure leader we can trust. And he is the only leader I will fully proclaim. So, if you are with her, just remain in him. Keep your identity in Christ. Your identity in Christ. That's what matters. Um, Joshua 5. Verses 13 to 14, great verse. Angel of the Lord comes. They're getting ready for this battle, and Joshua is there. The angel of the Lord, I could assume, looked very majestic, very regal, and they were getting ready to go into war. <laughs> and Joshua asked the angel, are you for us or our adversaries. <laughs> and you know the angel answered. The angel said, no. <laughs> no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Do you understand what he did there? Are you for us or are you against us? And he says, I'm for the Lord. I'm not on this side, and I'm not on that side. I'm on the Lord's side. And because I'm on the Lord's side, I will speak truth to power to all platforms, all policies, all people, because the church must be like this angel that we keep our prophetic position to speak to all types of power. It is when the church gets hijacked by a party when we lose our power. It's when we get hijacked by an organization that we lose our power. We should always say with a sense of clarity, no. I was in a 
I was being interviewed one time about where I stood on certain things politically, abortion and all these other things. And I began to answer with these long answers. And the person said, I'm sorry, it's just a yes or no question. And so I said, well, I got a longer answer. And I just kept, you know, answering it. And I said, you know, this is a yes or no answer. And I said, well, unfortunately, since you're not my daddy, okay, I am going to answer this the way that I believe I'm supposed to answer this because I don't have a yes or no answer. In other words, my answer won't fit into your box. And maybe you shouldn't interview me anymore because I don't fit into temporal boxes because I have an eternal answer. In other words, I have an answer that's bigger than what you can contain. Wouldn't it be beautiful if the church was more objective and more focused on the king? Think of it this way as we close. I am a Giants fan. Rasul is an Eagles fan. Josh, Josh, Josh is a Redskins fan. And whenever we, whenever we watch games together, of course, we're pulling for our teams. But you know, on the football field, there's actually three teams. On the field coming up, there'll be the Eagles versus the Giants. But then there will be these men walking around with black and white on. And they go around and they aren't on the Eagles or on the Giants. Their job is to call out each team when they've not followed the rules from the rule book. And when they do that, they do it in such a way where if you ever thought that they were for one or the other, we would have chaos on the field. The beauty of the church is that we are like that third team, the refs, that we call out the injustices on both sides. And we do it in such a way where we can be trusted. And I pray that the church would get back to a place where we could be trusted for our prophetic voice and not still and not continually be hijacked by one group or another. I was asked by a politician once, could I come speak? I said, you can talk to everybody after church. We will not be hijacked by a political position. The kingdom of God, listen now, the kingdom of God is too big for one party. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Our hope, our hope is in you, Jesus. You are our king. You are our king, God. You are our king. We rest in you, God. And we ask, Father, purify our hearts. Let us speak to power. Let us speak to all types of injustices, all types of oppression. But let us speak in such a way where we know we are saved by grace. Let us speak in such a way where you are our hope. No person, no platform is our hope. You, 
Jesus are our hope. Let us live that way. In Christ's name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.